This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train, and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to episode 108 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. We recently had a broadcast hangout with our friends Dave and Anna, who are working in a Middle Eastern context, and they were talking about identity in Christ whilst on mission overseas. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that session. You can find the full notes on everything that was said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 108. So here is Dave and Anna. So, yes, we're Anna and Dave, and we moved to the Middle East about eight years ago, uh, and we love the people and the place where we live. And we moved because we felt God wanted us to move here. Uh, He wanted us to show people who live here God's love, and we started a church here. Uh, We've got two young kids, and we've been married about 15 years. Dave is English, and I'm American, and our kids are growing up among three cultures. So this issue of identity is one that we think about a lot. So uh, we very briefly introduced ourselves, and hopefully we've done it in a culturally appropriate way so that you understand some things about us. You understand that we love God. You understand that we love our family. Uh, you understand uh, some things about us because we know very well how to communicate who we are and how to introduce ourselves into uh, a Western culture and an English culture. But when we moved cultures into this Middle Eastern culture, uh, all of a sudden we didn't know how to communicate who we were. We didn't know how to introduce ourselves. And this idea of what do you say when you're introducing yourself in a new culture is, is huge. And you really don't understand it until you try to enter into a culture that, uh, that is totally new to you. People who you meet want to understand you. They want to be able to fit you into their worldview. They want to yep. know who you are. They want to know your identity. But if you use the terms and the, the uh, identifiers, the labels that you're used to learn, using in your home culture, they can't understand you. And they certainly aren't ready to understand your true identity, uh, the, the identity of a child of God, someone who God loves. And so we've really had to struggle as we've moved cross-culturally uh, with how to introduce ourselves. Some labels, for example, that we would use very confidently in, uh, in England – just don't translate. For example, the uh, the label of Christian. Uh, Christian, where we are, doesn't mean what it means where you are. So f- for people here, it normally means a Westerner. In fact, it normally means an American. And so if you say, I'm a Christian, they think, oh, uh, Rihanna is a Christian. She's an American. Uh, Donald Trump is an American. He's a Christian. And so you you can't Uh, rely on those labels because people here think, ah, people who are power hungry, people who lie, people who have loose morals, that's Christians. And so they get a very wrong idea. In the part of the world where we are as well, if you say, uh, I'm a Christian, what actually gets communicated uh, to a lot of people is, oh, you're one of those barbarians who invaded our country, who uh, in, the, in the past, in history, uh, killed our children, uh, raped our wives, left our families to die. Uh, you're here to destroy our culture and uh, you're the enemy. And we don't want to identify like that. We don't want that to be the way that we communicate our identity because we're here for the good of the city. We, we love the people here, and that's what we want to be able to communicate. That's, uh, that's the identity that we want to be able to, uh, to come with. And so we have to be very careful about how we um, communicate our identity to people and introduce ourselves. And this is a bit of what Paul was saying, we think, when uh, he was writing to the Corinthians. He said, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to every Everyone to win as many as possible, because his true identity was as someone who is free. But in order to communicate the gospel, in order to introduce himself in a uh, in a culturally appropriate way, he made himself a slave to that culture and the worldview of the people that he was uh, going to. 
And so we uh, want to do the same the same thing. So when we came cross-culturally to, to our new culture, we had to empty ourselves of a, a lot of our home culture and a, a lot of the way that we would um, communicate the identity, our cultural identity uh, in our home culture, which in that culture, in, in England, in America, is very helpful, is, is good. But coming here, it would be unhelpful. Uh, and so there are things that we laid aside, uh, labels like uh, businessman, labels like Christian, uh, labels like pastor, um, and because they're unhelpful here. Some labels we had to put aside because to enter a new country, you just you're forced to things like smart or <laughs> pithy or successful, because when you come to a new culture and you're learning a language and you're learning a culture, you're, you're a child. And uh, and so it, it's a big sacrifice to enter into a new culture because you lose your old cultural identity. And what you're left with is your true identity, the things that you cannot give up. And, uh, you know, in a perfect world, in a, a perfect Christian, uh, that would be uh, their identity in God, the uh, someone who is loved by God, who loves God as a child of God. And that's the true identity that you can't give up no matter what culture you go to. But that's very difficult to communicate to people. In fact, it's impossible. You have to establish an identity in your new place and in your new culture in order to be able to communicate to them in a culturally appropriate way, in a way that they can understand uh, the fact that God loves them and the fact that God loves you and who you are uh, in God. And so uh, because we want to be able to speak into a new culture, we pick back up some of those labels that we had laid down. So here, the label businessman, for example, is very useful. So I, I work uh, for a business. And so I pick that label back up because it allows people to understand me in their worldview. And then I can go deeper with them and communicate with them that I'm a businessman who Jesus loves. Um, but we have to have some cultural identity in order to assimilate into the new place, in order to have a place to belong, and in order to have a voice in the new um, in the new culture. For us specifically, we've come from Western cultures which are quite individualistic, uh, and we've come to culture in the Middle East which is very collectivistic, uh, collective. And so in the West, we would often talk about who I am, what my name is, or how old I am, you know, all about me. Whereas here, we've had to learn to communicate our identity as uh, part of a group and the groups that we belong to, because people are much more interested in those uh, things. That's how people will identify us. Um, but the aim in all of this is in the culture that we're in to balance our true identity in God and that thing that is immutable, can't change, uh, with the way that we communicate it in our new culture so that it's uh, both genuine and that it's culturally understandable. Some of the th things that have been useful to us as we've tried to think about how to do that in our new culture uh, come from the writings of Don Larson, who wrote this about 35 years ago. And uh, this we were introduced to this by our friend Sam in, in America. And uh, he said, when you go into a new culture, you want to go in as a learner, not a teacher. You want to go in as a trader, not a salesman. And you want to go in as a judge, uh, sorry, you don't want to go in as a judge. You want to become a storyteller because although a teacher and a salesman and a judge are powerful and have a voice, they are always outsiders. Yeah. And we want to communicate as insiders. Um, and it's a lot less powerful uh, as a learner. It's a lot less uh, easy as a trader. And it's quite hard to become a storyteller. Um, but we want to learn the culture that we're in so that we can communicate appropriately. We want to trade stories back and forth, stories from our culture and stories from the culture we're in. And we want to become a storyteller who tells the story of God and his love uh, in the language and the culture of the, of the place that we're living so uh, that's very helpful and has been helpful mm -hmm. to us as we've considered who we want to be. Uh, just lastly, before I hand over to Anna, uh, there are some uh, 
identities that uh, that are really tempting to take on and that people actually want to put on you when you come into a new culture uh, that you have to resist. And um, they're really tempting because they appeal to your pride and they uh, appeal to your insecurities. um, But they are not good as you're trying, you know, they don't communicate your real identity. So one of those would be as the Western savior. Uh, People think, oh, you're from the West. You have money, you have resources, you can help us, you can save us. And it would be easy to enter into that role and identify in that way. But actually, that's not my identity. I'm the saved, not the savior. Um, as a team leader, it's very easy to uh, take on the role of a team leader because you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, experience. Um, in our church, we have three elders, uh, and I'm one of them, and we, uh, we don't have a lead elder. And in the past six months, I've been asked three times by three different people if I would be the lead elder. saying, you should be the lead elder. You've got skills. You've got experience. Uh, but actually, and that's tempting. won't say it's not tempting. Uh, but actually, our aim is not for me to lead a church. Our aim is to raise up local leaders. And so, you know, that's something that we have to reject because that's not what we're called to. That's not what we're doing. Um as I said, I work. I work in business. Uh, I work part time as a part time worker with another, you know, call being here and spending a lot of hours in the community and in trying to get into the culture. I feel like a failure lots of the time because I can't put in the hours that it would take to be a really successful businessman here. Uh, and I feel like I'm failing my boss quite a lot of the time. My boss is a very understanding man, um, but I feel like a failure. Uh, because of that. But if my identity was in being successful, I would, I would have given it up by now. But actually, is my identity secure when, I, when I'm failing? Um, that's an important kind of point that we've wrestled with. The last thing that I'll say is that a lot of people who come uh, cross-culturally, they say, I'm going to spend two years learning language and learning culture uh, because that's what's recommended if you want to get into the community and have a voice and have an identity. Um, But so many people... Uh, Before that two years is up, start um, to serve or start a ministry because they feel like they're not doing anything because it looks lazy to just be a learner because it looks uh, like there's no fruit. Mm, It feels uncomfortable. It's horrible and it's really hard. Uh, But what we've discovered is that it's so important if you want to enter deeply into a a new culture. Um, But so many people can't do it because their identity is caught up in what they're doing. But as a child of God who God loves, you can spend that time because that's that's part of who you are. Uh, Anna. Yes. Okay. so Dave was there focusing on collective identity Um, or another way to think of that might be as reputation. You know, what goes on externally? What do people understand uh, of who we are? How do we look to other people? And we know um, from the scriptures that this is actually a really important part of our life as believers. A lot of times, I think the Western temptation especially is just to think of everything in terms of individuals. And so when we think about our identity in God, it's it's me in God. Um, we don't often think about where we fit in the family of God or define ourselves by how uh, even non-believers might see us. But that's such an important point. And um, I want to talk now a bit more about core identity issues. You know, what goes on internally? Um, We had the benefit of having this great evening session, learning from a woman named Marion Nell, who's very knowledgeable and has worked with families that move overseas. And um, she's written a few books, which I really recommend. One of them is called Families on the Move. And she is especially uh, experienced at working with teens, doing camps for teens and debriefing families as they move back into their home cultures and helping families through transition, essentially. So she did this evening for us uh, where she talked to people who are raising children overseas about identity and, and all around these issues. And she said that the two biggest issues that she's seen in, among hundreds of teens Um, the two biggest issues that they've had that were difficult for them were, um, number one, 
feeling that their parents chose their future for them, uh, particularly in, the ter in terms of limiting their educational options, that their parents um, you know, put them on a path before they had any say in it. That was a major resentment. But the other thing was that uh, teens had this experience, this trauma of building an identity uh, around a place and then being forced out of that place. So, for example, being overseas and then moving back home. Um, and her kind of the line in the sand that she she said to us very clearly and very sweetly was, um, you cannot build your children's identity around something that can be taken away. Um, and I think uh, there's kind of been a, a wave of people that would encourage you to go all the way into a new place and um, to, you know, to enculturate as much as possible, which is absolutely is our goal. But there is a point where she said, OK, you cannot base your core identity, however, on something that can be taken away. And um, and then she looked at us because we said, well, can we have two? You know, can we have a split personality? Can we be American and British at least? And she said, no. Um, and so Dave and I went home, we sat down with a drink each across the table from each other and, and kind of duped it out. Okay, they're going to decide tonight, are we a British family or are we an American family? Um, and that's, that's kind of the core, the core thing, isn't it? When we come to t thinking about our identity in God, it's that our core identity cannot be based on something that can be taken away. I mean, we see that happen around us all the time. And actually, that's going to happen all throughout our lives as God uh, allows things to happen that shape who we thought we were. You know, we'll all experience things being shaken and being taken away. So the question is, what, what will never be taken away? And we know that the things that God says about us can never be taken away. You know, we know, in fact, that every human being that we see has been created with dignity in the image of God himself. Um, and this concept of imago dei means that every person we see has inherent worth that can never be taken away. Um, and of course, as believers, we know that our relationship with God has been forever restored through the finished work of Jesus. Um, you know, verses like John 10, where it says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. And then it says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Or again, in First uh, Peter First Peter, the first chapter, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. So we know all these things. We can you know, create a big list. We're no longer under condemnation. We're the salt and light of the world. We're set free. We're no longer under law. We're governed by grace. There, this is the core of who we are, and, and I'd really encourage you to go listen to uh, Wendy's great talk on um, our identity in God, because I'm sure that she hit some of these points as well. Um, but there are other layers to our identity, aren't there? I mean, there are other things. We, Although we know at our core we're a child of God, there are also other things that are, if you like, fleshed out, um, and some of those things can be taken away from us. Um, relationships, being part of certain groups, uh, maybe callings that we don't ever see fulfilled, or at least not fulfilled in the way we expect, um, things that we love that are taken away from us. Um, but that thing about having our identity fleshed out is not a bad thing. As long as we don't place those things into the inner circle, as long as we keep them out of the core, um, we can enjoy flourishing into them. Um, there's a man named Sherwood uh, Lingenfelter who wrote this kind of classic book. It's actually a really small book. I encourage you all to get it called Ministering Cross-Culturally. And he has this helpful concept about uh, of a 150% person in his book. Basically, the idea is that if you go into a new culture, um, you if you try really hard, if you to, want to adapt and to change your lifestyle and your habits and um, and enculturate as fully as you can, you'll probably be able to get maybe to 75% in, uh, enculturated into that new place. You won't be able to get to 100%. It's just not possible. And at the same time, as you do that, 
who you were before your previous identity. Some of that you, some of that is lost along the way. Um, I think for good and for bad. I'm not the person I was when I first came to the Middle East eight years ago. I'm very different now. So say you retain 75% of that, which gives you 150% for all of those mathematicians following along. Um, you know, we know that Jesus, Jesus was the perfect example of the 200% person. He was 100% God, went to the culture of earth, and he completely identified with us and enculturated. Um, we're not going to be at that level, but as we experience losses and gains, this is a transformative process that God's at work in. And we're going to actually end up with more than what we had before. I know for some people, moving into a new culture can feel like it's more of a loss. Um, but the reality is that we're, ga we're gaining. Um, and there, there are, yeah, hopefully we're also changing to look more and more like Jesus. Hopefully this is a process of growth and maturity. Um, I mean, none of this material that we're talking about is just pure information for us because it's something that we actually are still living all the time. And in fact, I'm struggling a lot with these kinds of things these days. You know, how do people see me? Um, you know, how do I cope with the fact that they don't really understand me? Um, and we should know also that this is a spiritual struggle. Uh, so for example, uh, there was a time probably the second week or so, maybe the third week after we'd arrived in our current country, um, I was pregnant and we were very, we were just like, both of us were exhausted and our youngest daughter as well. Uh, we were falling asleep at eight o'clock in the evening regularly. And so Dave and my daughter were asleep and I went in, I think I was at the bathroom sink. I think I'd been brushing my teeth or something. Suddenly I just felt, um, like I, I was a near audible voice that I knew to be Satan. It was as clear as I have heard God sometimes, you know, as clear as a prophetic word where I'd heard God specifically, but it was an evil condemning voice and just kind of um, like a driving, just kind of driving voice. Uh, and I just kind of went down to the ground and like a, just kind of crumpled down to the ground. And it was saying, uh, it said, you'll never fit in here. There's no place for you. You'll always have an awkward relationship with the primary leader and be frustrated in your giftings. I mean, and that was pretty much fresh off the plane. Uh, that was that was the spiritual battle that we'd stepped into. Um, and Satan attacks us because he's afraid of our potential. You know, he he is worried about about where our lives are going to go. This is something that happens to every believer, uh, whether we cross cultures or not. Um, I'm really happy to say that those things, those words that were spoken over me um, were a lie. I'm really happy to say that they were a lie. There was, there is a place for me. Um, there are places that I fit in. I'm happy to say that I have a great relationship with the person who was the primary leader at the time. And in fact, there was a moment where uh, I got to tell him about this thing that had happened in the past. And we had just a laugh, like a joyful recognition that, um, wow, look at the work of God in this situation. Look how that has actually been proven to be wrong. And, and as we're coming to the end here, I think um, there's probably more I could talk about if people have questions about it. But I think especially for me, um, I would identify myself as a strong uh, leader, definitely as somebody who would say I'm uh, concerned about women's rights. And, you know, there are obvious questions about moving to the Middle East uh, for women and around the issues of identity. And I think even more, I mean, honestly, even more than thinking about our family's safety and physical um the physical safety issues. Probably my most important struggle, my, you know, my, my biggest question was really this kind of core question of, am I intentionally signing up for an unfulfilled life? You know, I think for a lot of us, that's an essential question. You know, even if we stay in the same place all our lives, it's like that question of okay, following God is definitely what's best. It's definitely good. Um, it's the right thing, but will it satisfy me? And 
And so I just, I had to come to a place of saying to God, um, okay, God, I'm going to give up some, I'm going to give up some of my rights for you. You know, I'm going to give up being perceived in certain ways uh, for you. And I've definitely experienced the, at, at times, the kind of that lonely walk of being misunderstood, um, as Dave has actually as well. Um, you know, the times when people uh, assume that you really don't, you know, kind of sit around eating bonbons and you're a housewife and you don't really do anything. Uh, and partially it's hard to explain all the things that I do. And partially I just know they're not really that interested. And so sometimes I just have to let those things go and just go, yeah, you're right. I don't do too much or, or whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm knowing that I'm doing this for, for the Lord Jesus. You know, it's for his sake that I'm doing this. So, you know, and I, I know internally, actually, I know I'm free. Uh, I know who I am. Uh, but I'm going to lay that aside. And um, just want to quickly acknowledge that that's, that's an inherent privilege that we had that a lot of people don't have. Um, you know, some people don't have a choice when they cross cultures. Mm-hmm. Things are taken away from them. If they're a refugee, for example, or um, if they move from a place where they had more power to where they had less, it might have not been a choice. Um, and so that's something we have, to, we have to cling to, what our core really is. Um, so a few final points here. Um, what are the things that give us the power to live through identity crisis? Because yeah, it is an identity crisis when you move cultures, you're emptied of what you thought your identity was. And, um, but then what you come to are the things that cannot be taken away from you. And so uh, remembering the fact that no matter what happens, Jesus loves you. No matter what happens, he has taken away your sin and your shame and your fear. Uh, being in this culture, there's a lot of fear. And um, it hit us when we got off the plane. It was like a physical um, atmosphere of fear. I remember we felt fearful about things we'd never felt fearful before. Uh, but actually, Jesus has overcome that. And so reminding yourself of the truth again and again uh, is, is so important as you, uh, as you struggle sometimes with who am I? Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that we have on our side is God's power at work in us. The Holy Spirit is alive in us. And, and we especially ex- can experience the grace of God to live under limit limitations, you know, the grace to decline reputation and, and to set aside our rights. That's a grace from God. Often we think about uh, grace as leading us to freedom. Well, Greece cannot, Greece, <laughs> Greece, uh, Greece, Greece is the word. Greece uh, could liberate our waistline maybe, <laughs> but, but Greece, no, grace, grace, grace uh, gives us the freedom to give up our freedom. Um, and God's power at work in us uh, is also proved in our love for other people. Uh, so I just want to read you this really short quote, <coughs> excuse me, from this book, uh, Ministering Cross-Culturally. Uh, it says, becoming incarnate in another culture will be a trial by fire, a test of inner strength, of personal faith, and most of all, a test of the veracity of one's love. Yeah. Um, I just want to share something that, uh, that I've done a few times when, uh, when feeling like a failure, when feeling like things are not going the way that they should. Um, and I actually did this again with a group uh, of people just this last Sunday. And it's coming to God and being very, very open and pouring out your heart to God and then standing in normally in, in silence or uh, as you pray, opening up your arms and just asking God to tell you how he feels about you. And then you know the, the refuge and the comfort of God because God understands and he loves you in it. And, uh, and every time God tells me something amazingly true and that I didn't expect and much more beautiful than I'd imagined. And uh, again, I did this with some people just this last uh, Tuesday, uh, people who hadn't done it before. And I cheated. I had my eyes open and I just watched as people's faces uh, broke out into huge smiles because, wow, 
this unchangeable uh, idea that God loves me no matter what. And, uh, and he's walked alongside us every mm-hmm. step of the way. And yeah. so asking God how he feels about you, that's your identity, how he feels about you. And knowing that and experiencing that uh, is so helpful and so available. Yeah. yeah. God is so much more kind to us than we are often to ourselves. Um, and the last thing that if you really fuels us, can fuel us through an identity crisis, is looking ahead to eternity. Um, the first believers in our country, uh, who people think were probably around the end of the 70s, uh, they wrote a lot of songs about heaven, about looking ahead to the new creation, uh, about being with Jesus. And they did that because uh, the life that they experienced was very difficult. Um And we know that that's the hope for every one of us who's put our faith in Jesus, that one day we'll be able to express ourselves fully just the way that we were created to be uh, as worshipers face to face of seeing, seeing God, um, expressing ourselves perfectly and being who we were made to be. First question, when you talk about laying down identities from the old culture, do you still keep an element of this when talking to each other or praying or do you tend to relate to each other in the same way you will to the culture you're trying to reach into? Yeah, that's, that's a great question and it changes over time, I think. Uh, so there are in our home, uh, we have decided that we will have an American culture in our home. So we speak English in the home. We, um, we act in an American way. Uh, we eat a lot of, uh, American meals as an Englishman. This is really hard for me to admit, especially because some English people might be listening to this, but I did marry. I wasn't going to tell them which one we picked. Leave and cleave. Um, Uh, so, and we found for our children, you know, that's helpful, but when we're outside of the house, uh, we change, we, we lay down at the American culture there and, and we pick up a, a more, uh, Middle Eastern culture, uh, and we change our language outside of the home. We speak, uh, the local language, partly because, you know, we want to fit in partly because if we're screaming at our kids to stop running because they're running into the road, we want everyone to know what we're saying. Um, you know, it's just helpful, but that that's the thing, isn't it? We lay down things that are unhelpful when they're unhelpful and we pick up things that are helpful when they're helpful. Uh, and that's not something that you can kind of prescribe to people. You have to be aware of the circumstance. You also have to be very aware of what God's asking you to do in that particular circumstance. Uh, one last thing is, just as I'm thinking about it, there are um, there are some things that we do not lay down, even though they're not culturally appropriate, because they are part of our genuine identity. Uh, and there's an example of that which makes me look good, uh, so I'll share it. But um, when we first arrived here, uh, I, we, we didn't have very much language, but I had a friend who would talk to me for hours, a Middle man. And uh, he uh, he would ask me to do things. He'd ask me to go for tea. He'd ask me to go for meals. And because I'm a respectful Westerner uh, who's married, uh, I would say, well, I'll check with my wife. And uh, and he would ridicule me. He'd say, oh, you're a diet man. It's a literal translation. You're a light man. You, you're, not, you're not real. You know, uh, you're weak. And um, And I had to wrestle with that. Is this part of... It's not culturally appropriate for me to ask my wife if we were available to do these things or if she needs me for anything. But part of my identity is, oh, God's loved me and uh, I, I need to love my wife in that way. So I, I need to be um, more godly appropriate than culturally appropriate, if that makes sense. So, you, you know, it's a very, uh, it takes a lot of, very situational, it takes a lot of discernment. Yeah. Yeah. But for example, if people come to our home, um, often you'll sit with the, the guys just on the couch and I'll do all the work of it and yep. the running back and forth and the serving the tea and everything, you know, with the with the full expectation that as soon as they're out of the door, you know, that you're going to be helping me clean up some of this stuff. Um, but, yeah, it is situational. Um, yeah. 
No, that makes a, that makes a, a lot of sense. And as you say, it's it's working it so it is so situational. So what you might do in your house when you've got others in will be different from if it's just you and your kids. That's exactly right. And because hospitality is such a huge point here, you have to take those sorts of things into account. So how am I respecting the guests who have come into my house? Because that's important. And that shows you know, some of your identity as well. But uh, it, it, we're, we're in a fallen world. So it's a, it's a, it's a struggle. I should say it's, it's also that in a lot of ways we have changed, you know, we have become more middle Eastern in how we relate. Um, so it's, it's not like, um, you know, well, this is our outside us and our inside us. I mean, there are a few cases like that, but I would say in a lot of ways, we've really become more Middle Eastern where when we go back to visit our families and friends, for example, we have to keep stopping ourselves from, you know, making inappropriate comments, um, you know, from just being way too direct or, you know, from accidentally kissing people who don't want to be kissed or whatever. So there are definitely things that we've, we've internalized. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I can imagine. So I've got a question about re-entering culture in a, in a minute, but um, how much can you wear the identity of the culture you're going into uh, when the people there know isn't your native culture? That, yeah, that's that a good question. I mean, I think part of that is that final 25%, you know, or we're never going to really be 100% insider. Um I think about enculturating like, and actually I often think about this in terms of learning a new language, but it applies even if you're moving within the same language. But uh, I think about it like joining a new conversation that um, I think about it like somebody who's kind of, there's a, there's a whole conversation. It's already going, it's lively. There's all these things that have happened before that you don't know what, you, you don't know what happened until you walk in the room. Um, there's a whole history there. And so you, you're kind of entering as a learner means that you usually enter kind of silently. Um, you're just kind of sidle up, maybe kind of sit next, next to someone who's at the table and kind of have an ear in and maybe they kind of feed you little bits and they kind of help you and catch you up in a way. Okay. This is what happened. That person did this, this, we're, now we're on this topic or whatever, and and it's a slow process of getting your own seat at the table. Yeah. Um, and what I found, I found this in a few different situations. It's more like, um, you, you know, each time you're in a new group or in a new space, you have a chance to to go through this process again. So, for example, in the space of my kids' school, where uh, I volunteer and I'm. You know, I'm there a lot. There are a whole bunch of other parents that I know and staff and people. And um, over time, you know, now I would definitely say I'm a member of I'm sitting at the table. You know, I'm, I'm part of the group. I'm part of the conversation. I'm probably always going to be, you know, the slightly weird one of the group, yeah. you know, not necessarily just because you're a foreigner. either. Yeah. Thanks. Ed. <laughs> Thanks yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I know that I'm always going to be a little weird. Um, but there are some things that people really appreciate about me being different as well. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that is actually a way that we can talk about. There's more stuff to talk about sometimes. So, yeah. So you want to wear the culture and you want to be able to communicate appropriately so that people understand you, but you're never going to be from that culture. And that is, has some negatives, but it has some positives, like Anna says. So uh, we're in a very class-based society where people don't talk with people below them and they can't, you know, have, have a meal together if they're from a different um, class um, level. And uh, But as foreigners, we can move between those. Yeah, because we we're not pegged as well, no, in the same yeah, way. And we can even bring those together <laughs> if, if we have enough um, of a voice in the community. So, you know, there's good points and bad points, but I think there's, there's a reason why God calls people out of their own culture into other cultures. It's because he wants to highlight that, you know, the culture you're going to isn't perfect and isn't normal, um, in quotation marks. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. So the being able to bring almost the different classes together comes as a result of, I guess, the trust you've built up over time by, I guess, identifying and engaging in the culture more. Yeah, you you have to have... You have uh, to earn it. Yeah, mm -hmm. you have to have a seat at the table to be able to yeah. do that. No, uh, that's really helpful. 
Um, you, you obviously uh, mentioned that you've got uh, kids, and I've uh, got the question really asking um, about any comments that you've got on, in a way, doing marriage and raising kids in a different culture, and of course the um, the identity that you have and how you want to work that in a different culture, especially, I guess, bringing for yourselves, bringing a couple of cultures together in terms of English and American culture. Um, so you've got an interesting mix there. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, to say that uh, it is very challenging to, uh, to have a healthy marriage and to raise a healthy family in a different culture. It takes both parents to be fully on board if it's just one person's vision and the other person's just tagging along that doesn't seem to work and um, we've yeah. seen that not work quite a lot um so we already mentioned about how um how we had to choose a home culture so that our kids would have something that they could hold on to um the one thing I, I guess i would add to that um is I'm just struggling with how to say it. Do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'm, parenting is always tough, no matter where you are. Uh, and it seemed I I thought that I, I experienced a lot of people's opinions before I had kids, and then once I had kids, I realized, wow, everyone now has an opinion about my life and what I should be doing. Um, you know, no matter how obviously they express it. And in the Middle East, people express their opinions very bluntly and clearly. Um, and so I, I learned, I've learned a lot that, you know, there are other ways to do things and they are just as valid as the, you know, as the a way that we've come to believe is very researched and definitely the best way. Or, you know, I, I realized actually kids can survive on a lot less sleep than I thought they could. <laughs> I know the research might say kids need whatever many hours, but I mean, at least in kids, sometimes they're, you know, they're good embedded. on six, seven hours. Yeah. They seem to be and actually learning and being fine. Um, like, I, and then sometimes you find yourself caught in the middle. Like, uh, I'm remembering this one really specific example where I'm, I was coming back. This is when our, our kids were a lot younger and, um, our daughter, we were trying to get our daughter to stop using a pacifier or a dummy. And, and so I told, we had this British couple that were with us and I told them, so then I was kind of like accountable to it that, oh yeah, we're trying to get her to only use this at bed, at bedtime. Uh, so we're on the train and she just starts screaming her head off. Uh, I mean, just when, inconsolable. It's very crowded, people yeah. all around us. When when Anna says on a train, she doesn't mean like she's nice seated you know, people sitting down or anything. This is... Like the middle of the yeah, worst in, crowd you've ever seen. A, on a sunny weekend day. People hanging out the doors. Yeah, uh, so anyway, and I'm just kind of getting more and more like, like okay, I've tried all. I, I, you know, here's the toy. She doesn't want it, whatever. You know, I went through my other options, and I'm kind of like looking at these people and like, uh, I, I hand her the dummy, instant silence. And I, in, 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 at just exactly that moment, I see all these kind of aunties, you know, like older ladies around me and they're all looking at me and they just start tutting, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. shame, you know, it's just like, you had that in your hand the whole time and you didn't give it to this poor crying baby. Like, what kind of person are you? And, and also like, you know, why did you make us all suffer? And at the same time, I have this, um, British couple, I believe it was just kind of looking at me like, you, you know, same thing, like disgusted, you know, you gave in, yeah. you're trying to train your kid, you know, so I'm just like, well, there it is in the middle. Yeah. I will say that one of the, one of the things that w has gotten us in with everyone are our kids. Oh, because, because when you meet people with your family, well, first of all, people from the middle East are much more family oriented anyway. They feel yeah. like I'm not going to really know you until I meet your family. Um, and then the th great thing about having kids is that, um, people approach you, uh, like a much more unguarded way. You know, if, if you've got a cute kid that goes running up to them, they'll be like, Hey, Oh, you cutie. Oh, you know, yeah. just instantly you meet people on a different level. You're a much safer quantity. Yeah. So while it is, it, there are definite things that are tougher about moving cultures with family, 
there are also lots of advantages. Yeah. So if you can go overseas, have kids, take them with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I recommend it. Sure. Go together. Yeah. Did well, you remember the thing you were going to say? I did. Uh, the um, One of the big things, and, and Anna said it really, was uh, – there's many more options than people think. So yeah. when we first arrived, people said, oh, you've got to send your kids to school here in the local school, or you can't send your kids to school in the local school. You've got to send them to a private school, or you've got to homeschool. People said, this is the only way to do it. And what what we've discovered with our family specifically is that's not what our identity is. And pleasing those people isn't what our identity is. Yeah. Actually, we want to have a healthy family, and that might be very different for us than for other people. We're very fortunate in that our kids have done very well in the local school uh, and it's been a huge blessing for us but other people's kids couldn't handle it um yeah it wasn't the right fit for them wasn't the right fit or they happened to be in a bad and it might not be for us (laughs) in a month or two yeah but you know we're not going to force other people to do it the way that we've done it because that's not who we are either um and yeah no that's that's really helpful. So it's being secure in yourself to be able to make the choices that you know that are right. That's and right. Not- yeah. And beyond that, to allow other people to make the choices that they know are right. Yeah. Brilliant. That sounds great. Um, can I ask you, what challenges have you found between knowing who you are and then actually mm-hmm. living in that identity? It, I guess it's the kind of head versus heart. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So a lot of it's about time for me. You know, I, I don't have the time to uh, communicate to these people uh, who I am uh, yeah. because it would take me a really long time because I don't have the language and I don't have the network and I don't have the, um, the cultural skills to be able to do it succinctly uh, or even well. So it, uh, just making friends with people. You know, I want to be a person who shows that I love my friends um, and, and care for them. For me as a foreigner to do that in this culture will take so much time. Um, whereas in my home culture, I know how to do that really easily and quickly uh, with the minimum effort. Uh, and so I can have a lot more friends uh, in my home culture and here just my, in general uh english friendship is is quicker and much easier less effort so but it does take time and god's plans are so often inefficient and uh that's some of something i've learned while being here efficiency is not um the golden rule um yeah and something about that head heart uh journey yeah. Uh, something I've thought a lot about is that, you know, we we're living the things that we're seeking to um, disciple other people into. So it's it's kind of it's God's God allowing us to kind of prove that path. You know, just the same way that Jesus uh, lived that example of giving everything up, um, yeah. being seen for as you know being mistaken mistakenly seen as you know somebody who was oppressed somebody who didn't really have many rights somebody who was a carpenter and you know what do you think you're doing teaching people and just as he was misunderstood constantly um you know even by his closest closest friends you know we have the opportunity to struggle through that because um you know ultimately we want to be able to say like paul you know to look at my life as an example it's not um, and, and how much more in a context where where people are going to be looking at our lives and our, our lives are going to be much more important to people yeah. than the words that we say. Right. Uh, you know, it's how much more important is it that we live something that we can pass on to others? Because the reality is for people who who come from a culture that is predominantly Muslim, you know, far, you know, you know, nearly 100 percent Muslim for them to identify as someone that follows Jesus will be very costly. They will yeah. be almost certainly misunderstood, they will have far more challenges than we've had. And, and it's almost like God allowing us to experience that so that we can have um, credibility as we, I mean, I, I read this, there's an amazing book, The Insanity of Obedience by Nick Ripkin. It's his second book, um, I think on that with a similar title. And it's basically about walking with Jesus in hard places is the subtitle. And he makes this I mean, amazing challenge. Well, all, there are lots of them, but one of them saying, 
you know, how can we ask people to put their futures on the line, to um, potentially put their children's safety on the line? You know, if we're not willing to say, yes, Jesus is so worth it, that we will also put our futures on the line. We will also potentially put our children's safety on the line, uh, you know, because Jesus is so much more valuable. So it's, it's like it's like proving the value of the gospel as we live out those things. Yeah, yeah. that's good. There's not a, there's not a short way to just go. I just like the download that instantly makes it go from head to heart, because if so, I would definitely take that pill. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess LinkedIn is a question that we've had about how is living in the culture that you are in helps you to understand more about your identity in Christ? Oh, such a good question. Um, it's not uh, mine. <laughs> um, one, of, one of the uh, things that I was just thinking about recently was uh, we said already that we're in a collective culture so people are always being identifying as part of you as what group you're part of yeah. i was thinking to myself god is part of a group he's the trinity he's never just you know by himself as an individual he identifies as as the trinity is uh you know and um and that's changed for us we now you know identify as part of a group so when we're sharing the gospel we're both sharing you know we're part of this group that includes god <laughs> and he loves us and accepts us in that group but also uh we're part of this group of people who love god and love each other um you know it's just brought home how important the uh, the church is and how important uh the li- uh, our lives together is to me um i think uh the idea of being uh, the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Yeah. When you cross cultures, when you learn a new language, you go from being a successful, able, independent person to being a complete child who, if the people around you do not take pity on you, <laughs> you're lost. Um, and so we, uh, yeah, and yet there's such a, um, such a power in that even that allows you to communicate who God is and, and the gospel. Yeah. Cause it's amazing that that's exactly the route God chose, yeah. you know, uh, to be, be born as a baby and yeah. ex- be, be God expressed 100% uh, in total helplessness. Yeah. Um, I think that one, one of the other things that I'm just thinking about is um when when we were in the West and in our home culture, we had so much advice to give and so many ideas of, well, do this, do that, and you'll be all right. Uh, and so, you know, we knew how things worked. Whereas here, someone becomes a Christian and comes to us with a, uh, with a struggle or a challenge. I, I don't know. We'll have to pray about that. <laughs> and, and it casts us on God because we, we're very, very helpless. Yeah, no, that's really, really helpful. I guess a reverse of um, living in a different culture is actually 